buddy. Um, so if you guys can make your way back to the chairs, um, we'll get started on the message here. Um, we're continuing a sermon series that Josh McCara started a few weeks ago, and we'll be back soon to finish up. We will be back to our regularly scheduled preaching staff soon. Um, in the meantime, I'm, I'm relief pitching, and I'm going to be talking today uh, from the book of Second Peter. Um, and we'll be reading the first 15 verses, so buckle up. It's a lot of Bible this morning. Um, and we're going to be talking about having a growing community. And so I'm going to have the verses up here on the slides. Um, you can follow along. There's pew Bibles. I see some people have already found them. Um, so you can follow along. In Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to read the first 15 verses today. Um, and the letter says this, Simon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Maybe my click, there we go. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. The, uh, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will, oops, overshot, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. If you'll join me in prayer. Um, Holy Spirit, come. Um, God, I just invite you uh, to, to use these words I'm going to say um, as you want to use them, um, not as I intended, not as some human plan, but as part of a divine plan. Amen. So to quickly summarize uh, that, that wall of text I just hit you with, Second Peter tells us here that because of the faith we've received, because God has given us, everything we need in Jesus, we should, therefore, add to our faith this big list of things, goodness, um, mutual affection, love, endurance, patience, you know, etc., self-control. Does anyone else see that that's like a little counterintuitive? A little, like, Jesus has given us everything we need. Therefore, let's add a bunch of stuff to that, right? What, that, that almost seems like a contradiction, right? And at the same time that I think that, like, well, if, if God has given us everything we need, why, do we, why are we adding stuff to it? Um, I also think that that's, that's actually a pattern we see a lot in the world. If you think about any living thing, right? 
like a, a plant or an animal, starts its life as this very tiny seed, this very tiny embryo. And inside that, that little speck is a bunch of DNA that has all the instructions necessary to grow that organism to adulthood, right? All the, all the instructions are technically in there. It has everything it needs. But there's also all this surrounding environmental stuff that has to go right for it to reach that. It has to have a nurturing environment in which to grow, first as a seed, but eventually as, as a young plant or as a child, um, in order to reach its full potential as an adult. And even then, there's continued development and continued growth. If you think about, I think this isn't just true of individual things either. I think this is true of groups. Like if you think about a football team, like I'm going out on a limb here, and, uh, and despite what angry fans may yell at their screens, I'm pretty sure everybody who shows up on the first day of practice for any professional football team knows how to play football, right? <laughs> they know the rules of the game. They know what they're supposed to do. They probably even know what position they're going to be playing and how to do that. But there's something else that has to happen. It's not, it's not like done. It's not complete just when you show up knowing how to play the game. There's this additional bit of like, you know, camaraderie and teamwork that has to develop and strategy from the coach and luck in order for them to have a winning season. And so if, if we see this pattern out in the world of how things may have all the ingredients, they may have everything they need to start with, that doesn't mean they're done developing. I think we should take that as a lesson for how we as Christians and how we as a church are to grow. Um, and I think a, a really essential aspect of this, the, the thing that, um, think that Peter points out here is that we're to have these things in increasing measure, right? That's the mark of growth and health. So I want to ask the question today, how how do we grow? Like, how do we go about adding these things to our faith? Um, and, I, and I think that that multifaceted aspect is really important. You guys, you remember the, the cartoon movie Disney's Mulan? Do you remember this scene where, like, they're at the war camp and the sergeant goes out and he grabs some poor sap and he says, all right, everybody, this, and he holds up this enormous weight, represents discipline, and he drops the guy's arm and it's, like, so heavy it just pulls him down. He holds up his other arm, puts another weight on that, and says, and this represents strength. He drops it, and the guy just falls to the ground. And then he shoots an arrow at the top of this big pole and says to all the recruits, you need both to reach the arrow. And, you know, kind of gestures, and they all try, right? They all try, and they all spectacularly fail. They're putting these weights up on their shoulders, and they, some of them get really close. <laughs> like, they shimmy up this pole, and they all fall down. And the real turning point in the movie is when Mulan realizes that for this to work, uh, I guess that, uh, that image didn't synchronize over. But what, what she figures out is you've got to wrap these, uh, these weights, the, the ropes from the weights, around one another, around the other side of the pole. And then she can kind of like shimmy up and get to the top and grab the arrow. And so I, I think that Something that's there in this passage is the idea that each of these qualities that, that Second Peter tells us about here are meant to like, reinforce one another. They're meant to connect and work together. Um, I had like, a similar kind of experience with, with things composing in my own life recently. Um, 
you guys may have heard about this pandemic thing we had going on, and um, that one side effect of that was that a lot of, like, we weren't getting out as much. I specifically wasn't getting out as much. Um, and come January of this year, I was just, like, really, really down. I was, I was, like, not in a good way emotionally. And I said, I have to change something about what I'm doing or I'm going to go completely nuts. Um, and so I just went for a run. Like, I hadn't been exercising for probably maybe a year, year and a half. And I said, I'm just going to get up. I'm going to go for a short run around the block. And lo and behold, I, I actually just, fortunately, I know not everybody has this, but I, I immediately felt a little bit better about life and everything else. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do that every other day. And on the off days, I'm going to do some kind of like really light strength training. I don't have a home gym. I just did like, like 10 push-ups, right? It was like the, the most phoned-in high school PE workout you could get in your home. And so I did that for a few months, and it definitely was working for me. It was making me feel better. But something happened, like I started having back pain. And, you know, my wife, who some of you know, is a yogi, and she would, like, see me kind of, like, wincing, and she's like, what's up with you? You know, she would kind of give me one of those. And, uh, and so I said, well, my back's hurting. And, and she just, you know, she'd have this knowing look, and she'd say, well, I notice. And I'm like, you've been thinking about this. I notice that you've been just doing this one exercise, and, and I think what's happening, like when I explained where the pain was, she says, I think what's happening is you're overdeveloping a certain set of muscles, and it's just, it's hunching everything forward. And so you probably need to do like an opposite motion. Um, like, so she lists a couple things, and one of them was tricep dips, which is where you like sit in a chair and push yourself up. Um, and she's like, so you, you may just need to add that to your routine, and it'll help. And it did. And I was feeling pretty good for a couple of months. And then <laughs> I got new back pain. This is just like approaching middle age is really, that's, that's the story, guys. Um, but it was, it was in a different place. Like I was feeling the hurt somewhere else. And so I, I went to Katie. First thing, I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> and she's like, well, you know, you probably, like you're, the things you're working are really working your arms and your like upper core, but like you need, like your, your belly muscles aren't getting anything. And you sit at a desk all day like this, John. I know what you do for a living. You're a programmer. Like, this stuff is not working. And it's like your back is telling you, hey, I'm tired of doing all the work. This needs to pull its own weight. So then I started doing these, like, crunchy things where you're, like, lying on the floor and you, like, touch, like, bring your toes up to your feet. Um, and that's kind of how <laughs> my workout routine developed. It was just, like, various flavors of back pain guiding me in to what I needed to be doing. And I, I think this is a perfect metaphor for what it looks like to grow in these virtues, right? Um, you may experience this. You may experience what Josh and Kara and, and lots of Christians throughout history have liked to call the holy discontent, where you sense that something is missing either in your own life, like, or possibly even in the life of your community, or maybe even in the life of like Christianity at large, right? You may be seeing these holes and you're like, this is not, like, this is not self-controlled, right? Or this is not loving. This is not mutually affectionate. Like, that, you, somebody missed the boat. Me or maybe all of us on some degree, like maybe one of these, you look at that and you're like, yeah, I don't have that one. Um, and that's good. Like, that sense of that lack is good, and that's a message to you um, if it's about your own life, that maybe something needs to get added there, or maybe this is something that you're to add to your community, or you're to add to the church at large. 
And if that feels like, like an insane burden, if, if that feels like, no, I can't, I can't possibly add one more thing to the list of stuff I'm already supposed to do, then that's a good sign that you may be carrying these things like they're burdens and weights instead of using them like tools that are meant to work together. Okay, that's a nice metaphor, John, but how, like, you haven't really answered the question. How do we actually grow? Like, how, do we, how do we really begin to develop these things in increasing measure? Um, and one, one pattern that I think is really useful for growth is like, cycles of struggle and recovery. And exercise is an obvious metaphor for this, right? I mean, like, you definitely, if you, if you start a workout routine, any personal trainer worth their salt will tell you uh, you need rest periods, right? Like you, if you're going to do an exercise one day, don't work out the same muscle groups the next day. Give them a day off. But I think there are other, other like virtues and parts of our life that have this same cycle of rest and recovery. And the recovery periods may actually even be really long. Um, just thinking of like one of the things here where he says to add to your, add to your faith knowledge, right? Um, you might think like, well, I don't you know, maybe we're used to like school where you just kind of show up, you, you do some exercises, and you don't really think about a recovery period as being part of adding knowledge. Um, so I want to tell a little story about a concept in math that I really struggled with in high school. This guy. Anybody recognize the square root of negative one? The thing that when you multiply it by itself, you get negative one. Anybody know the name for this thing? You can shout it out. We're holy rulers. We shout in church. I, that's right, I. And what does the I stand for? Imaginary, the imaginary number. This friggin' thing. I, <laughs> I was introduced to this concept in like, like ninth or eighth grade, and I was like, what? It's an Im- imaginary number? Like, it's not real? Like, what does that even mean, guys? <laughs> like, why do we call it that? And I remember confiding this to a, a teacher I had. He wasn't my math teacher. But he was a teacher who taught math. And I remember, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, well, John, you've just reached the limit of your mathematical understanding. Not terribly helpful advice. Because <laughs> I was like, that's it? I'm in eighth grade? No more math for me? I've hit the wall? Like, I'm, I'm 14. <laughs> That's it? And, um, but, you know, I didn't, I, I, that wasn't it. I actually had some more required math courses after that. And some of you guys know, I actually went to college, and apparently because I'm a glutton for punishment or just because I wanted to spite this guy, I majored in mathematics. And at college, like, like four or five years later, I learned a few interesting things. One of the things I learned was they don't actually call these imaginary numbers in upper mathematics, you get to college, they have another name for them. Complex numbers. And suddenly, I I don't think it was just that word, but suddenly like it opened the doors for me. Maybe just because I felt acknowledged, like yes, this is complex. Thank you mathematics for acknowledging that this is hard to understand. And and I, I began to see how these things could be used, and you could, you could actually like, do things with them that you do with normal numbers, like you can draw diagrams on a piece of graph paper using imaginary numbers. And there are actually even, believe it or not, real-world applications of imaginary numbers. Like there are like, things like electricity, or how, like, even just how water moves. 
basic things of life that are modeled using complex numbers. And my, my rest period for this challenge, this encounter, was like four or five years before I really got an answer, before I really began to understand. Okay, well, that's math knowledge, John. That's fine. But what, what about some of these like, spiritual disciplines? What about love? Can you think of a, a rest period for love? Like, do you ever need to take a day off from loving? And honestly, I think the answer is, yeah, sometimes you do. Um, like there are, and specifically, I want to think about loving when it's hard to love, right? Maybe it's a difficult family member or a coworker who gets under your skin. Maybe it's actually like a friend, someone, someone that you do love a lot, but you're having some kind of disagreement or argument or, or just like things are hard right now. That actually may be a sign that like, yes, definitely show up, give that person as much respect as you can, but you, your, your soul may tell you that at times you need a rest. And, and I, just like athletic recovery, it's really important to do things during your recovery period that actually promote the kind of thing that you want to do. So, so during like the four years of me not understanding imaginary numbers, I didn't just quit math, right? I was still showing up to high school math classes, doing the math exercises. And I think like in the example of loving someone when it's difficult to love them, don't want your risk to be something that's going to undermine your efforts to love them better. So for example, it's probably not going to do you a lot of good to go to a mutual friend who also has difficulty with this person and gossip about the person that is causing you difficulty. That's probably not going to do you any good. I can say from personal experience, in fact, it will probably leave you feeling worse and less loving to them and also even of yourself because you know in your heart that you don't want to be the kind of person who gossips. I'm not saying you can't ever like unload or vent to a friend when you have a difficult encounter with someone. But if, if, like that's, if that's your only recovery period is like, I just got to blow off some steam, you're, you're going to end up practicing the wrong thing. You're going to end up practicing not loving them. So what can you do to, to get the break you need? Well, what I've found is the most helpful when I'm, when I'm dealing with difficult coworkers is to be around people that I do like <laughs> and who like me and who like kind of like that... that as uh, as Second Peter puts it, mutual affection that can actually kind of like build up and re-inspire both, like give you some emotional battery reserves, but it can also kind of remind you of why you would bother trying to love someone when it's difficult in the first place, because it gives you that picture of what like life together can be when we do it. So another uh, potential pitfall to recovery that I think uh, is always going to be tempting is the urge to bypass it, to skip past the recovery period. Um, and this is just kind of natural, like, human impatience. We sort of hate to wait, right? <laughs> like, we would rather, like, as much as we can, like, get past this, this waiting period while we're trying to get to our goal. Um, and whether that's, like, you know, like, you may get some kind of, like, if it's athletic recovery, you may get some kind of snake oil that somebody is trying to sell you as, like, this is, uh, this is the, the thing for recovery. Um, odds are pretty good it's not. Probably the best thing you can do is relax and let your body kind of heal itself from the workout. Um, find something that lets you rest, like actually rest and chill out for a bit. And I, I think um, that kind of patience, the, 
the letter of Second Peter was written to a community of Christians who had that as, as a going concern. Um, because if you read on in the letter, you start to see Peter is addressing this controversy because there's people either adjacent to the church or possibly even within the church who are starting to ask this like really difficult question, which I think is a fair question to ask. And it's, when is Jesus coming back anyway? I mean, we, most, most scholars date Second Peter to like either late first or early second century. So it's, it's been a little bit, right? Like the Jesus movement has been going and they've been eagerly awaiting the return of Christ. And like some people are starting to like look at their watches, right? Well, they didn't have watches. I don't know, look at their abacus. I don't know how people kept times. Um, but they're, they're starting to say like, how, how long is this going to be? And there is this answer in the wider culture, this easy answer that's available. Um, and that easy answer that's out there, it kind of just in the water, is that this ain't happening, kids. Like the earth, like the, the universe was like wound up at the beginning of time by God. This is kind of the stoic cosmology and it's going to run itself out. And that's just how it is. Things go on as they have from the time of our ancestors. That's, that's life, right? Um, and that's, I think that's, that's still a going concern today. And what I find really compelling about Second Peter is he doesn't try to answer that question of when is Jesus coming back so much as he tries to suspend that question. So the author writes things like, you know, please remember that to God, a, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. And he, and he hearkens back to the word of Jesus, who said, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night, right? You're not going to expect it. In fact, you should expect to not be expecting it. That's how this is actually going to work out. And I think this is a really good picture of that particular virtue that Second Peter calls us to add to our faith, which is endurance. I think to really endure as Christians, to endure in the hope of the resurrection and the restoration of all creation, we have to cultivate a kind of skeptical mysticism, another contradiction in terms. But I think, I think we have to hold on to the hope we've been given, but we also have to keep at bay easy explanations that can kind of short-circuit our ability to really engage with the transformative mission of the church. And that might seem like enough work on, all on its own. That might seem like enough tension to be getting on with. But wait, there's more! Growth includes failure. And if you've been paying attention up until now, and you've been listening to my, all these calls to holiness living, and you've been listening to these warnings against false teaching, um, this might be the hardest one for you, if you internalized everything I just said, to accept that failure is still going to be part of the process. Um, and this is the good news, people. This is the gospel that growth includes failure. Because the minute that we make an idol out of our past holiness, if it, once, once our track record becomes more important than our progress, than having these things in increasing measure, or even if our future holiness becomes the most important thing. If we imagine we're going to get to some state of like perfect enlightenment, and that's, that's the goal, that's the purpose, we've missed it. We've missed it really hard. Our holiness is not our God. Our God is holy, but our holiness is not our God. God's purpose 
in the church, in the life and ministry, and death and resurrection of Jesus was not the perfection of Johnny Carter. I sure hope not, because otherwise it was a complete failure. Um, that's coming. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't believe, like, you know, I, I do believe that in time and, and in God's own time and in eternity, perfection does come. But that was not the only point. That was not the whole point. It wasn't even the perfection of just the church. If you read the scriptures, and you take seriously what they say, you'll see that God's purpose was the redemption of all creation. That's the goal. That's why we want to seek to have these things in increasing measure, because we're part of God's engine of redemption. So because of that, I think we can have hope that the thing that's going to get us there, the thing that's going to allow us to have these qualities in increasing measure is not going to be never making a mistake again. It's going to be the ability to course correct. It's going to be the ability to recognize when we make a mistake and say, oh, that's out of step, or oh, this is hurting me. Like I need to, <laughs> I need to add something. Something's missing from my walk with Jesus. Or like even to feel it corporately, to say like, hey, the Springfield Vineyard is missing something, and this is the thing it's missing. And I, I feel that, and I want to find a way to add that to the community. Or hey, Christendom, right? This global church that we're part of is missing something, and I, I want to find a way to add that. That's, that's how we're going to have these qualities in increasing measure. It's by leaning into and recognizing our failure and turning from it. So I want to, um, the band's going to come up here in a second and play one last song. Um, I want to lead this invitation just a little differently than normal. I want to lead with a confession uh, that I, in my life, know this discontentment intimately and personally and immediately. <laughs> like, I know that my own life is missing stuff. Um, and so this invitation isn't coming to you from a guy who like has it all together and if you could just imitate his life, you too could suddenly have holiness. Like That's not the invitation. The invitation is from your brother and friend that during this time when the band plays a song and you can sing and you, you can receive from the Holy Spirit of God who can begin to put these things into your life, who can begin to build them with you in this collaborative exercise called sanctification. You, if you want, can come to the forward and uh, someone will, from our prayer team will put their hand on your shoulder, ask how they can pray for you, and, and begin to like, add to the faith you already have. That's an option. <laughs> you, can, you can add more. Um, so with that, as you're able, please stand. <laughs>